Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you as we have sung incredible truths and remembered the great work of the cross. And yet, Lord, so often our hearts are slow to lay hold of it, that we get into rhythms and that we, we are not stirred in the way that we know that we are capable of being stirred. And Lord, we know that that goes in the ebbs and flows of, of life, but Lord, we also confess that, that we often go through the motions and we become dull to what are glorious truths. Lord, this morning I pray that you would stir our affections for Jesus. That you would move in us to remember the great love with which you loved us. And that we would respond with our voices and with our bodies to seeing you for who you are. Help us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. I thought it would be good today. At some point, I wanted to just talk about the idea of physical worship. Like, what do we do with our bodies, especially in a, a corporate worship setting? Because there's so much in the Psalms that speak to this, that, that are instructive of this is how we are to worship God. Not just truths that we are supposed to believe or even emotions that we are meant to feel, but, but a physical um, response. There's so much in the Psalms about what our bodies are supposed to do in, in response to these things. The Psalms are clear. What will flow out of a heart of worship that worships God in spirit and in truth as Jesus commands us to do. That's often what we come up with is the idea that we're supposed to worship God in spirit and in truth. But what happens, what the Psalms um, declare is that we're reminded that it's not just our minds and our hearts that worship God, but our bodies were created by God to worship Him as well. So I want to talk about that because that's something that, that we often, um, especially as um, as, as Midwesterners, and I'm a Midwesterner, like we are taught to kind of just be under control and, to, um, and that that is a sign of maturity. But I want us just for a moment this morning to consider what is it that God asks of us? What gifts is he, offer, is he offering us that we are maybe missing out on? And I want to do that in a safe space. And so I hope that, you know, I've earned some trust with you that we can declare that just saying from the outset that we all have different personalities and different, um, different wirings. 
And so we're not asking, like the, the idea here this morning is not that we're all supposed to end up doing all the same things in all the same ways, but what I'm really after is freedom. What I'm really after is for you to experience, as God has wired you and created you in this moment, to have the freedom, to have your affections stirred for him, and to feel the freedom to express that. And so what I want to do is talk about how our physical responses, what we do with our bodies in worship, it's, it's normal, it's natural, it, it's good. I want to just address some of our fears and objections that raise up, maybe in you and in me, and then just to give some practical guidance of how we can go about um, honoring God in that way. The reality is that God designed our bodies to reflect what is going on inside of us, right? We know that medically, that if there's um, a, a limp, a limp will reveal pain, which is revealing something going on inside that, that isn't um, available. Like we can't see it with our eyes. But not just for physical pain, but also emotionally. Our bodies respond to emotions. If you're nervous, you might sweat. And you don't tell your body, like, hey, I'm, I'm nervous. You should start sweating now, right? Your body just does it naturally. Or your voice might get shaky. Have you ever been nervous and you started to speak and your voice is shaking and you try to control it? And what happens when you try to control voice shake? It gets shakier, right? Like you're telling your body like, no, no, no. Your body's like, too late. We're nervous. This is the way we're just, we're just demonstrating it, right? If you're excited, you might start like tapping your feet or breathing more rapidly. If this is a fun one for a lot of us, if you're embarrassed, blood just rushes to your head. Some of you turn bright red, right? When you're embarrassed and you feel it. Like when you start to get embarrassed, you're like, no, 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 no. And then it just like does it even faster. And if you're angry, your voice might shake or it might go louder or it might go quieter. In fact, the body and the emotions are so linked that when our emotions become too much and too overwhelming, sometimes our body just shuts down. It's like a system overload. But what's clear is the link between our bodies and our hearts and our minds is strong. We are one. God created us, every part of us. And those responses that we have are are not only natural, but they're good and created by God in us. And it's even enhanced all the more when we're in community, in a community who's feeling the same thing. Because the shared experience heightens everything. Think about um, if you've ever gone, I remember going to Lambeau Field. I've been to Lambeau Field one time for a game. And I, I will admit, even though I did not grow up a Packers fan, I'm not a Packers fan, it's a pretty special experience. And to see 80,000 people, and I, I went at the perfect time of year, the end of December. And so... It was amazing, and one of the things that struck me about being at Lambeau Field, watching the Packers play the Vikings in super, super cold, or as my mother-in-law would say, stupid cold, um, is how loud it still was. People are like covered in padding and winter coats and gloves, and yet it still gets loud. 80,000 people gathered together expressing in unison what they're feeling about the moment. 
It's always interesting when you see a big play brewing and how you'll see the whole stadium in the same response. They'll start by sitting back and then they'll see something happen. They start to lean forward in their seat and then they stand together and then like almost as if they were choreographed, raise their hands in celebration and victory and grown men acting like total fools. And it's entertaining, right? It's part of what makes it fun. I mean, imagine if you went to a game and you paid that money and you go through all, that, all the hassle of doing that and you get in the game and some exciting play happens and everyone's sitting there like this going, good job. It's, it's pretty good, right? Yep. You want your money back. You're like, this is lame. I just experienced that. We went to um, PNC Park in, the, in Pittsburgh the pirate, where the Pirates play. It's a beautiful baseball stadium. Beautiful. And the fans could care less about baseball. Partly because they're so bad, and I understand to a degree. But I'm sitting there like, I'm not a Pirates fan, but they're like trying to amp everybody up. They're down by two runs in the ninth inning, and I'm like looking around going, do you guys not care? And they're just like, all right, let's go. And it's like, it loses something. You want that kind of emotion. You want that shared experience. It's natural for us to do that to the point where it feels wrong if it doesn't happen. Right? I just got to do a wedding, and it was beautiful. And we want to see evidence of emotions. Like we want to see the, the groom kind of tear up when he sees his bride. We want to see, hear laughter and the applause at the pronouncement of husband and wife. I mean, imagine if the groom, if you're at a wedding and at the point of where the groom is told you may kiss the bride, if he reaches out a hand for a hearty handshake. <laughs> You'd be like, what? I did not come to see a handshake. Like, I want a kiss. Like, that's what we, like, you'd be, you want something more, right? Like, there's, there's just, you'd be like, boo, just do it again, run it again, pastor. Because it's wrong, because you'd feel it in your bones. Like, what are you doing? This is like the greatest moment of your life on earth, like to look at this person and commit yourself to them. And that's what, that's what your response is? See, when people's hearts are stirred, We expect there to be a physical response to the point where we know instinctively what you're saying right now is not matching what your body is showing. I have a friend who, and you probably heard this line, I don't know, the first time I ever heard it, and I thought it was the greatest thing ever. A good friend of mine, his wife, who's known for being pretty stoic, and he asked her one time, they were eating ice cream, and he said, he said, he was disappointed because they were excited to try this ice cream and he really loved it. He's like, this is amazing. It's like the best ice cream I've had. But his wife was just, just eating it. No, no expression. And he said, oh, man, I really enjoyed this. Like, um, I'm sorry that you don't, you don't seem like you like it very much. And she said, she said, oh no, this is actually, this is the best ice cream I've ever had. And he goes, well, you should tell your face. <laughs> because it did not get the message, right? So, like, that's how I feel sometimes, like, when we're worshiping God, and we're singing these incredible songs about who God is, and what he has done for us, and how he's rescued us, and I feel it in my own self, and I'm reading them, and I'm thinking, do I really believe these things? And I'm looking around, and I'm, I'm thinking, man, we sh- our bodies, like, so we should let our bodies know that we've been rescued, and redeemed, and restored, and renewed, and, like, set up with an inheritance that is unfading. Like, we should let our faces know, and tell them, like, Worship our king. 
But sometimes we act as though our bodies are separate and they're supposed to be kept under control while we just feel some things in our heart. I just wonder, what, what are we missing? Are we seeing things like you are peace? You are peace when my fear is crippling. You are true. You are true, even in my wandering. Who hasn't come in here on a Sunday morning afraid of what tomorrow holds? Fearful for someone that you love or some situation and just seeing this and saying, you are peace. Even though this fear is crippling me right now, you are peace. Even though my mind is wandering, you are true. You are joy. You're the reason I sing. Not because of my external circumstances. Not because everything I know is going to work out or how it's going to work out. You are my joy. You are my life. And because you are my life, death has lost its sting. And so often, you and me, we sing those words and we do the spiritual equivalent of just reaching out our hand for a hearty spiritual handshake and a pat on the shoulder. And it's disconnected. It's so strange. So why is it that way? Why do we often hem ourselves in? And again, I'm going to keep saying this throughout the whole message that I'm not talking about like, hey, the answer is everybody, regardless of personality or dancing ability, get up in the idols and just start like, you know, dancing around, hopping around. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am saying is if you'd for a moment say, am I actually, for how I'm wired, how I'm designed, am I actually expressing worship with my body or is my body being used to thwart what the Spirit is doing in my heart? That's the big question. And so what keeps us from doing that? Well, I think the big one, especially for us, those of us that grew up in the Midwest, is just a fear of being showy. Midwesterners do not like being showy. I lived on the West Coast. They like to be showy. Like you like to show, like you like to, like if you have money, you flaunt it. If you have like, like you just, you're just like, hey, like this is who I am. But in the Midwest, it's like, no, we don't, we don't do that. I mean, we've talked about this before, but one of the best ways, I, I, I love it when somebody, I love it when any of you get a new vehicle. It's so much fun for me because the conversation is going to go the same way. Hey, I like your car. What a great car. Did you, just, did you just get this? And I'm going to get these statements, sometimes in this order. I've never bought a new car like this. I got a really great deal. It's really unusual. I've driven, all, like I drive them into the ground. Well, what are we doing? We're like, I don't want it to be showy. I want to like tell you that there's like legitimate, I'm going to legitimize it and, and make it. And I'm just going, hey, I just like your car. Like, I'm not looking for a defense of all this stuff. We just don't, we don't like it. Naturally, we just kind of cringe about that. And so making something a spectacle or feeling like people then are looking at us, we typically don't like that. And after all, isn't that what Jesus warned us about in Sermon on the Mount? Did he not say in Matthew 6, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others? Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, 
Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So doesn't that seem to be saying that like, okay, shouldn't we be more reserved? Should we not like make sure that we're not, you know, if I start raising my hands or, or shouting amen or anything like that, like isn't that making me a spectacle and isn't that exactly what Jesus is talking about? Well, maybe, but he also praises a woman who pours perfume on his feet and wipes his feet and washes his feet with her tears. In Luke 7, behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Talk about making a scene. Not only is this a scene, but it's super uncomfortable for everybody standing there. We don't know what all this woman had done, but she has a reputation of being a sinful woman. She has come into a religious, orderly home and basically humiliated herself and Jesus and the hosts, according to the Pharisees. But Jesus knows what they're thinking and tells a parable about Who forgives more? Just about the idea that the more you're forgiven, the more you love. And after he tells this parable, it says, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. What's the difference between those two scenes? What's obviously the heart. The Pharisee prays on the street corner to be seen. The woman Wiping Jesus' feet with perfume and her tears is responding to what she has seen. To the Pharisee is thinking about the praises of others. The woman can think of nothing but praising her Jesus. It is an outflowing of a heart that has been stirred. See, emotions and our physical acting out of those emotions are not the problem. Manipulation of emotions inauthenticity in our emotions, making a scene, whether it's a scene of stoicism or a scene of emotion, that's the problem because it's done with the heart to be seen and to be seen as holy or as righteous or as faithful. And let me tell you that it just depends on the culture you're in. I've been in cultures where to be seen by others is to make a big show, is to raise your hands at the right time, is is to dance, is to shout amen. That that That's the show that you're putting on so that others can be seen. And I've been been in cultures where the, the show that's to be seen is how much I can hold myself together, how stoic I can be, how serious and self controlled I can be. Either way, the heart of the problem is are you moved by what others see or are you moved by what you see? 
I want us to be stirred by what we see. And when we declare these incredible things about God, that we would be stirred by what we're singing. See, emotions are good. They're part of us. They were created in us. Our affections are meant to be stirred for Christ, not stifled, unless you think it's more honorable to be stoic or under control. See, the great warning in Luke 7 is the Pharisees were too dignified for the kind of response that this woman was giving Jesus. It was a shameless display. And the woman and Jesus would agree because she has no shame in her worship of Jesus. The Pharisees are rebuked and the woman is praised. So let's not think that God is somehow impressed by our lack of emotion, our self-control, by how we love God with our mind and so somehow that's more, um, more faithful than just our emotions being stirred for Christ. It's interesting because we, by the way, we, we, we tend to think that our reason and our thoughts are more trustworthy than our emotions. You notice that? Here's the problem with that. Everything is infected by sin. My reason is no more trustworthy than the emotions I feel. Now we could go into a whole other category of saying like they all serve their purpose in their right way. So for example, when you're reading about doctrine, about who God is, it's important that God gave us minds to reason and to think and to consider. And there are times where I feel weird about a passage in scripture and I feel uncomfortable. Well, I don't let my emotions steer the boat on what I think is comfortable or not about God. Does that make sense? But on the flip side, I'm not going to let my reason and my thoughts stifle what God is doing in my heart through my emotions. They're meant to work together. We glorify God when we think deeply about the things that we're singing and that we're reading and that we're hearing. And those things are meant to stir our affections and our emotions for Christ, which is then meant to come out in physical demonstration. So that's what, that's what I want us to consider. Let our emotions be redeemed and let our bodies be the expression of those redeemed emotions. So I want to finish just some practical ways that we can, that we can do that. That we can try to open that up. But I, I want to give a, a couple of quick disclaimers. One, again, we're not talking about manufactured emotions. Some of you have experienced that. And we'll talk about this when we talk about singing, but, but emotions are not all just heightened ones, right? Like there are ways that you can, I have sung songs before and prayed prayers where what I'm filled with is a deep abiding peace or confidence or comfort. And all of those are going to be expressed in quiet ways. You've never seen anybody who's just like running around screaming like, I just feel so much peace right now. Like, like, ah, that's weird. It doesn't seem very, your peace does not seem very peaceful. All right, but we need to make sure that like, that's okay. Like there's times where you're gonna be like, oh, God has me. I just feel this deep abiding peace and that's going to come out in a physical way of quiet and stillness. So remember, it's a heart issue. And for our church, I want us to have the freedom to respond 
to Jesus. And to realize that as we do that authentically, it builds one another up. And our worship not only blesses God, but blesses one another. I'm going to give you an example of this. I've had several people, so if you're one of the people who have said this to me, no, I'm not picking on you. Several people have said to me, I didn't come in for the music or I stepped outside from the music because I knew I would just start crying if I tried to sing. So what? Like, praise God if singing these songs move you to tears. Just about every week, there is some line in the songs that we're singing that I can't sing because I get choked up and I can't sing it. I can't get the words out. And you know what's always awesome about that when that's happened? Someone near me is singing it out boldly because they feel a sense of confidence and peace and assuredness in that same lyric. Two totally different physical responses, but together they build up the body. It's an incredible thing. So whether through tears or calm or raised hands or bended knee, all for the glory of God in response to his incredible grace and mercy. So I want you to feel the freedom to respond. So here's some practical ways to do it. Number one is sing. Like I'm going to start with two, two that are really straightforward, and ones that we, we know and we agree on, then two that are probably more of a stretch for us. So I want us to, to sing Psalm 95, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Or Psalm 96, O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. I'm not going to do the old pastoral joke of like, it says make a joyful noise. So if you're tone deaf and you can't sing, like just squawk or whatever. But that's, that's like an old thing, but that's actually not what he's talking about. The joyful noise is, is later. This is about singing. But there is something to be said for this, right? In this day of worship concerts and the Christian music industry and how it is infused in the church so that churches all over the country feel this pressure to put on uh, some kind of concert every single week, it is really important to remember that singing praises to God is not reserved for those who have a talent for singing. What brings praises to God is when his people sing together. And we take great care in encouraging congregational singing. Visitors to this church often point out, one of the first things they point out is how loudly people sing. There have been times where people have been out at the children's check-in or somewhere out there and they just hear it through the doors. There are times where sometimes you guys are in a place where the spirit is moving in a way and the first note is just boom. We are like on and it just is so impactful. It's beautiful. And I said this before, but I want to say it again. We are so blessed with the worship leaders we have because all three of our main worship leaders have incredible voices and they could go off on sing in their wheelhouse key, and then we would all sit there and go, whoa. And yet, they choose week after week to sing songs in keys that all of us can sing. Now, I get it. Like, sometimes it's going to go a little too high or too low, but some of us, like, our ranges are here, right? You know, and theirs are here, and, 
Joe's is here, and like, like you know, we got all these different ranges, and and then they do that as a act of love, but also their abiding belief that what blesses God and blesses each other is us singing. So sing, sing. I used to not sing because I was afraid of how I sounded. And I don't care anymore. It's not the same, by the way, to mouth the lyrics or to whisper them. Sing. Sing. The person next to you desperately needs you to sing. Here's one of the powerful things about singing is that you get to preach a sermon to yourself and to the people around you. It's one of the reasons why we choose the songs that we do. We're very particular in the songs. We want songs that are based on the truth and the strength and the power of the lyrics. We don't choose them based on the tempo or the popularity. We want to sing rich, deep songs that will last the test of time, that are full of lyrics that we want to declare to one another. Do you realize how many times someone near you has been ministered to by your singing? Times where people come in and they cannot sing these words because they are too distraught or in such a painful place or they're going through a time of doubt and they desperately need to hear the testimony of the voices around them. Desperately. So sing. I would encourage you, by the way, like if you want to just grow in this, to be able to do this, start singing in other places. Practice this. I believe, I, was, I meant to check on this, but I'm just going to go throw it out there. If it doesn't exist, it'll exist by the end of um, this week. So um, I believe we have a Spotify playlist that is kind of like our, um, our congregation's worship songs. So Robbie, over years, kind of crafted a congregational hymnal of sorts. And so there are these songs that we, that we sing together because we want to be singing them together. And I believe we have a Spotify playlist. If you don't know what Spotify is, um, it's like imagine you put a vinyl record and shoved it in the internet, and then you get to listen to it. All right? It's basically, that's like more or less. Like I'm no engineer here. But... Um, but we have that for you, and you can start singing that. We have people who do that. They sing in their commute. They sing the songs that we sing in church, and it stirs their heart and their affection. So, so sing. Okay, enough about singing. We all got that, right? Like, sing. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Second is kneel and bow your heads. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So some of you grew up in churches where you'd kneel and, and stand up, right? So Lauren was raised Catholic and I remember going um, to, to a mass with her for the first time. And what I thought was really unfair is it took me the entire mass to figure out the game um, and then it was over. And I was like, can I just show, can we do it again? Because I, I want a second take. I want to show you I can do it. But we, you kneel, and then you get even railings to kneel. There's a reason for that. It's not just because they're trying to keep the blood moving. It's like there's a kneeling down before our Lord. It's a posture of humility, a posture of receiving. And sometimes we bow all together, like when we pray. But sometimes you may do, you may do it when other people aren't doing it. I often sit and bow, after I'm done preaching, I often go to my seat and I sit and I just bow my head. And it's not because I'm tired of standing. 
It's because it is the natural response often to just feeling so humbled and submitting myself to the Father and just being poured out spiritually. And some of you, because of what you've gone through this week, are just poured out spiritually. Maybe you've been ministering to a family, a coworker, a neighbor. You have poured yourself out to your own family. You just poured yourself out. And you come here to be ministered to and filled up. And you may spend the entire service sitting in your chair with your head bowed. And I'm just telling you that it's beautiful. You don't need to say like, okay, well, everybody's standing up right now, so I guess I should stand up. Kneel before the Lord. Bow before the Lord. It is a beautiful picture. Let me just tell you this. It's a beautiful picture to have, to see somebody bowing before the Lord while somebody is standing and declaring loudly the truth about God through song next to them. It's a beautiful picture of the church. That's our response so often is just kneeling and falling at the, faith of Je- or at the feet of Jesus. Think of all the people that were healed by Jesus. Jesus healed the 10 lepers and they went and he said, go and, have it and, and cleanse yourself and, and, and show yourself to the priest that you've been clean, cleansed. And, and they, as they were going away, they realized they'd been healed. And, they, and one turns back to Jesus. One turns back. And he does this in Luke 17. When he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his feet, on his face, at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Loud voice, laid low in humble gratitude. It's a beautiful physical expression. Third one is lift holy hands. This is where we start to get a little out of our comfort zone, right? We're all like singing, amen, bowing our heads, love that, lifting holy hands, ah, slow down. Psalm 134, come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Now listen, I grew up in a church where you did not, under any circumstances, raise your hand unless you had a question. And you better not have a question. And in college, I remember going to a church where people were raising their hands. And I was so uncomfortable. And each week I moved a row further back. Just like, I just want to separate myself from these lunatics just raising their hands. And then I remember one day sitting towards the back and I was singing, I don't remember what the song was, but I just remember being stirred by it. And my hands like started to go up. True story, I go, no. (laughs) Because I was the self-controlled one. But my hands were like, I don't care. And they just started to raise. And for me, it felt like scales just like falling from my arms. And all of a sudden, my body just was opened up to a completely different way to express my praise of God. And it was incredible. And 
I just want us to know, like, in Scripture, we're meant to raise our hands. It's normal. It's, it's, in our, it's actually created in us across cultures. Like, it's the universal sign of joy and victory. Like, do you wonder why the sign for touchdown is two raised arms? Like, that's, it's because it's like, that's the sign. You can go across the globe and see people when they are celebrating. Where are their hands? I have never once seen a group of people that are just in this chaotic, incredible celebration like this. Nobody. Our hands naturally go up in the air. And so when we sing things like, I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Are you just seeing that and celebrating the victory over death, the victory over sin? Like it's spontaneous, like it should move us. And raising our hands is a, is a beautiful way to express that. Which, by the way, not only is raising hands a sign of victory, but it's also a sign of surrender. It's a universally like, accepted sign of surrender. And so we give hands up, just giving up control, surrendering to God. Like, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. A surrendering of who I am. You think about victory and surrender, like what two heart postures are more prevalent in the worship of her God than victory and surrender and testifying to truths about God. Like physically agreeing with what's being sung about who God is, blessing the Lord. So whatever it is, one arm, two arms, outward palm, receiving palms, there's no code or key for any of that. Like no one's ever going to look at you and be like, well, you're in receiving mode right here. You should be in giving mode. Like that's not going to happen. Like, well, I don't know. I'll just put them right here. Like, but I'm just telling you, like, just feel freedom. Feel freedom. Let your body express what's going on in your heart and yes for some of you that is gonna be look way different than for other people and that is totally fine but i'd encourage you to to try it it's a heart issue and then finally shouts of joy this is where the joyful noise comes in let's sing to the lord let's make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation let's Come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. So joyful noise is also translated sometimes as shouts of joy. Spontaneous shouts of joy. So this happens in a couple ways. One is an amen during a sermon. I know, I know because I get the, I get the benefit of seeing all your faces. You don't get to see all your faces. I get to see all your faces. When someone shouts out amen during a sermon, it never fails that somebody cringes. <laughs> Somebody's like, well, that wasn't on the screen. Like, I'm not supposed to do that. How do you know when to do that? And I'm just telling you, it is a way. Amen is a, another word for truth. I've heard it like in agreement with, but it's, it's truth. It's saying, it's testifying when somebody says something and you're saying truth, or as the teenagers would say, facts. There you go, trying to keep you engaged. There you go, facts. <laughs> so when you, so I would love it, by the way, if a teenager yelled out facts during a sermon, I would like, I'd go nuts, man. That would be amazing. 
But when you shout amen during a sermon, you're just saying truth. And let me just tell you where that has served. There are times where I have preached hard things, hard things like how do you suffer for the sake of Christ? How do you grow in your intimacy with Jesus through trials? And I know that people are sitting there, seekers sometimes are sitting there and thinking, is that really true? Or do you just say that because you're paid to say that? And when somebody shouts amen, during that? Do you realize the weight and the power that comes with that? Because you're testifying to saying like, yes, that has been my experience. That's not just him saying that. I have gone through that and I have experienced that Jesus is enough. And it's beautiful. It's amazing. So I just want you to know it never is a distraction to any of us for you to shout out an amen. To let know like, yes, I agree with what is being said. And I love that. And it blesses the congregation. It's incredible. Now I get it. By the way, again, wiring. I want you to know that over the years I've also learned to accept Midwestern forms of amen. Which will include things like the head nod. <laughs> totally, I see it. I see it. And I'm like, all right, I can, I, that's a testify. And, and like, I'll see, then I'll see like that. Then there's also the other side of it, like the head tilt, right? You get the head nod and the head tilt. And then you get the, my personal favorite, the frantically flipping through the scripture, like the pages to like check what you just said. But like, I love all of it because it shows engagement and it's a physical expression of what God is stirring in your heart. And the other one, by the way, just quickly is shouting for joy at the end of a song. Yeah, have you noticed that that's happening? Here's, here's how this has gone down. We are singing. We're singing our guts out, and it is loud, and it is amazing. And then it ends, and somebody in a spontaneous burst is like, ah! <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Just got a little excited. And I'm just telling you, don't, don't hold that in. I get what you're feeling. Like, I get it that you're like, well, but we don't want to applaud for like a performance. Yes, amen. Nobody wants you applauding for a performance. They're not performing. But man, when you are stirred and you've been singing and declaring praises to our king and you've been ministered to by people around you, like, don't hold that in. And also, don't feel obligated to jump in. Here's the thing. I believe in God's sovereignty so much that I believe he places all of us to bless each other and build one another up. And so if we ever get to the point where it's like, okay, this is the chorus, this is the time we all raise our hands like this, this is the one hand outward raise, and now when we go to the bridge, we do two hands outward raise. Like, if it ever becomes choreographed like that, then shame on us. But when you see a mixture of all those things going on, and we have some people just shout out amen and some people just shout out at the end of a song and just praising God for that and stirring our hearts and people feel free to respond. It is beautiful. And it ministers to us deeply. Listen, I gotta be honest. I am not worried right now at this point in our church's life that we're gonna fall off into the ditch of just manufactured emotionalism and show. All right, like I'm looking around right now. I think we're safe, all right? <laughs> got plenty of anchors in here who are not going to let us go there, and that's fine. But I just want to say, what would it look like 
if we just acknowledge that God is worthy to be praised with our minds and our spirits and our hearts and our bodies, whether through tears or calm, right, whether through raised hands or bended knees, but all for the glory of God in response to his incredible grace and mercy. And one of the ways, I just encourage you to do that, is just think about what is going on and the implications of the songs you're singing, the words you're hearing, the prayers you're praying, the faces you're seeing. And let the Spirit stir your affections for Christ and let your body participate for his glory and your joy. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. Or Psalm 150, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with lute and harp, praise him with tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe, praise him with sounding cymbals, praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So we're going to have a chance to do this. Sarah and everybody's going to, they're going to come up and we're going to sing. I just want to encourage you to, to just don't let your bodies keep your spirit from worshiping God, whatever that looks like. Father, help us. Help us, God, to experience. Because, Lord, I look around this room and I see testimony after testimony after testimony of people whose lives have been changed by you. And our hearts have been stirred for you. Lord, I pray that you just give us freedom. I pray you'd give us freedom to engage our bodies in what you're doing in our minds and our hearts because they are all meant to work in unison to praise you. Lord, I pray you'd give us grace for one another that we would not think that other people are doing something for show, but that we would just focus on worshiping you and building one another up. I pray, Lord, that, that we would feel freedom to be at peace and to be calm when that is what you're stirring in us. That we would know, Lord, that what you're asking of us is not for everybody to always be doing all the same things, but that we would not hold back in how you have wired us. And that we would see our hearts and our minds and our bodies united, all of it, declaring your goodness and your greatness and your beauty. You who loved us while we were rebels and rescued us out of the pit and redeemed us and restored us and renewed us to walk in our new identity as your chosen people, your children, heirs to the kingdom in the power of the Spirit. Let us stir our affections for you, Lord Jesus. Amen.